So I want to start off this morning with a little bit of crowd participation, and I know this is so out of your comfort zone for some of you. So here in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to share with the person next to you. And if you hate stuff like this, when the person next to you looks at you, just say, I hate people, and, and, and I don't want to talk to you, and you won't be the only one in here that hates people. Or you can just say, I want to pray, whatever makes you feel more spiritual. But right now, I want you to just take just a second and just think with me for a moment about your, your most favoritest gift, however you'd say that. What's your most favorite gift that you remember receiving as a kid? So maybe you got it for Christmas or a birthday or because you lost a tooth or you won a baseball game or something random. But what is the most exceptional gift that you remember getting as a kid, the thing that you love the most? I want you to take just a moment right now, just like 20 or 30 seconds, and share that um, with the person next to you. So go right now, take a moment, share. What's your most favorite gift for the person next to you? If you've been talking the whole time, make sure the person next to you gets to share as well. Just a few more seconds. I was trying to answer that question this week. You know, Sydney is asking me, she's like, what? What's your most favorite gift you remember getting as a kid? And one of the ones that I thought of was from when I was seven years old. I was in elementary school, maybe first, second grade. I'm not sure how, what grade you're in when you're seven. But I was around seven years old, and there was this kid in my class at the time. His name was Cam Smith. You can Facebook him. And Cam was on this, like, crusade to prove that Santa wasn't real. And, like, he was... He had the facts. He's like trying to go around our classroom saying Santa wasn't real. And I'm like, man, whatever. You're a liar and a, a thief of joy. And, you know, he, he's trying to ruin it for all of us. And I hate to admit there was this like small little window where I started to doubt just a little bit. I was like, you know, may, maybe what if he's right? And so I hate to admit that. But for a small window, I started to doubt whether or not Santa was legit. And so I, I came up with this plan. I thought, what if we don't tell my parents what I want for Christmas. We're just going to write a letter to Santa, send it straight to him, won't let them know. And if, if my parents are lying to us, we're going to totally, you know, we're going we're gonna to find out. So I remember my sister and I writing these letters to Santa, and we refused to tell my parents what we wanted um, for Christmas. So we wrote the letters, we put them in the mailbox, sent them straight to the North Pole, no way for it to be intercepted. And I remember... Um, I remember just thinking about this, and what I wanted that year for Christmas was this black and white BMX bike with the, the stunt pegs. Did any of you have bikes with stunt pegs? Like, yeah, you know what it's like to live. I mean, it was, you know, this amazing bike, and I'd been longing for this bike, and so send the letter off, and I'm like, God, you know, would you make Santa real, and would you make this come true? And so uh, Christmas morning rolls around, and I remember, like, running out to the Christmas tree, my sister had asked for a bike as well, and 
we get out there and we're like unwrapping all the gifts as fast as we can. And we get to the end of the presents. We got some amazing gifts that year. But I remember just this moment of like utter disappointment because there was no bike under the tree. And I was like, oh, not only did I not get the gift I wanted, you know, my whole vision for Christmas has just been shattered in, in this moment. So I'm kind of sitting there in this like seven-year-old angst. And as I'm there, my dad probably kind of saw my depression on my face. He said, hey, what's, what's that on the top of the tree? We, we hadn't noticed it. There's this letter kind of hooked to the top of the tree, and he pulls it down, and it's addressed to my sister and I, and we, like, rip open uh, the letter. And in this, you know, almost illegible handwriting is this note that says, Dear David and Sarah, I'm sorry, the bikes could not fit down the chimney. Look on the roof. Love, Santa. And we're like... <laughs> and I remember just, like, running out the door, you know, as, as fast as I could, and there's the two bikes we'd wanted sitting on top of the chimney. And I remember watching my dad almost kill himself trying to get the bikes off. And I'm like, there's no way this fool did this. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like Santa's real. He's, he's heard my cries, you know, just kind of the, this moment. And I, I was thinking about that this week because if, if you've ever been on the, the receiving end of an unbelievable gift, isn't it true that to receive a great gift tells you way more about the giver than it does the receiver? You know, like when you get a great gift, you're like, man, somebody has heard me. Somebody knows me. Somebody loves me. And they've, they've gone out of their way to, to meet this need or to, to meet this desire. And I was thinking about that because, you know, we've been studying the Holy Spirit for the last 11 or 12 weeks together. And there's this moment towards the end of Jesus's ministry. He's been walking with these disciples, been doing life with them for nearly three years. And you get towards the end of his ministry and Jesus starts using this really kind of beautiful, um, larger-than-life language as he looks at his disciples and he says, your heavenly Father has a gift that he wants to send you. It's the passage that we looked at last week out of Luke chapter 24 where Jesus says, man, all the great stuff you've seen, God still has something better for you. He says, wait in the city until you receive the gift that my Father has promised. And over and over and over, Jesus keeps talking about this gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's not something that he's getting ready to send the disciples. It's someone. It's the presence of God to come into the life of ordinary people like you and I, to give you a new heart, to give you new desires, to teach you, to instruct you, to comfort you, to guide you, to fill you with boldness so that Jesus can use you in the world around you. And over and over and over, Jesus is going to make it abundantly clear that the totality of his ministry, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension was so that God the Father could send this gift to you and I, ordinary people, so that the presence of God could fill your life and overwhelm your life. And, and here's what I want you to hear. If you've been with us for the whole series, or maybe this is the first morning that you've been with us, if you don't hear anything else as we talk about the Holy Spirit, I hope this truth sinks into your heart. The Holy Spirit is not God's gift to the spiritually elite, it is God's blessing to the spiritually bankrupt. And the gift of his spirit is not something that is given to you based upon your merit or your performance, but based upon the kindness and the generosity and the beauty of God. And that this gift is a reflection of the giver, not the receiver. And so for the last 10 or 11 weeks, we've been talking about the beauty of this gift flooding your life. And I was talking to a guy in our church earlier this week. He's like, I get it. The gift is awesome. The, the, the gift is beautiful. The Holy Spirit's awesome. How in the world do I receive the gift? How do we begin to open that gift? And so this morning, just real simple, real simply out of Luke chapter 11, I want us to wrestle with, as a community, how do we unwrap the gift? How do, how do we open the gift of the Holy Spirit 
How do we receive this gift into our lives very, very practically? And I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast, especially on John 7 and Acts chapter 2 if you missed those two weeks. But this morning, I just kind of want to bring it down to the ground. How do we begin to open this gift um, from your Heavenly Father? So Luke uh, chapter 11 is where we're going to be. Let's open up the Word together. And I'll give you just a little bit of context. The disciples have just gone out on mission with Jesus. They've come back. They're reporting to him all the things that they've seen and done and experienced. And they catch Jesus in this moment of kind of intimate prayer with God. They see Jesus praying, and they look at Jesus, and they go, Okay, Jesus, of all the stuff we've seen and experienced, do you still have something in your life that we don't have? We want that. Can we, can we have more of that? And in Luke chapter 11, the passage that we're going to look at this morning, Jesus is going to do something really interesting. He's going to teach them a prayer. He's going to tell them two really weird stories. And then he's going to make a huge monumental promise about the availability of the Holy Spirit to ordinary people just like you and I. So this morning, I want us to see the prayer. I want us to see the stories. I want us to embrace the promise as we think about the Spirit. Open up Luke chapter 11, verse 1. You guys with me this morning? Here, make sense? Okay. Verse 1, it starts like this. It says, one day while Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John has taught his disciples. So I, I don't know if you've ever been around somebody that seems to have a special connection with God. Uh, but earlier this fall, Sydney and I went and spent a couple of days with this couple out in Dallas. And uh, they're in their early 60s, amazing man and woman of God. We're just kind of asking them about their marriage. Like, tell us, tell us about your walk with God. For the last 30 years, every Tuesday night, they've spent three hours from six until nine praying together as a married couple. And I'm sure most of you married couples do that every week, but Sydney and I were like, oh, we suck. Like, you're, you're the most spiritual people we've ever been around. And uh, we began to see their hearts for the Lord and what they were experiencing with God. And so we're there with them in Dallas, and they invite us to this prayer meeting with them. And we're listening to these people pray, and it's like, I've never talked to God like that. I've never connected with God like you are. It's like, show us, like, teach us your ways. And this is the moment that the disciples are having. They, they see Jesus and they go, okay, Jesus, we've, we've been a part of a lot of cool religious events, but we have never touched the heart of God like you just did. Can you teach us that? And Jesus begins to remind them of this prayer. And so we're going to read this prayer that he lays out for them in Luke chapter 11. It's the Lord's prayer. It's a prayer that Jesus had taught these disciples a year earlier And you're going to notice as he reminds them of the prayer here, he kind of gives them them the cliff notes. He leaves out some of the language maybe that you've heard before and that you've memorized. But Jesus is just reminding them here. Jump down to verse 2. He looked at them and he said, when you pray, this is what you're supposed to say. He says, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive our sins as we also forgive everyone who has sinned against us and lead us not into temptation. So Jesus says, remember, I've taught you how to pray. I've taught you the posture with which you pray. You're not coming to God like he's a distant force or some random idea. You're walking into his presence as a kid approaches his father. And then he tells these two really weird stories. Look down at verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and you say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Um, I don't know how you lend people food. I don't know if he's giving it back or what, but this is the situation. He says, lend me three loaves of bread, verse six. And a friend of mine is on a journey. He's come to me. He has no food. I have no food to offer him. But Jesus said, suppose the one inside the house answers, don't bother me, bro. The door is locked. My children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of your friendship, he will get up because of the man's boldness, and you will surely receive as much as you need. 
Verse 9, so I say to you, ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks will find, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So Jesus goes on and he tells one more weird story and he's going to make a promise at the end of it. Verse 11, or which of you fathers, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake? Or if he asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion. That's like some weird Tim Burton movie here. You know, Jesus is like, this is weird. Verse 13, if you then, even though you're sinful, or some of your Bible say evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids, here's the promise. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So I, I want you to see this. The disciples go, Jesus, you've got something in your life that we don't have. Teach us that. And Jesus says, what you need is not more form or function. What you need is the, the Holy Spirit of God. And what is in me, who is in me, is available to each of you. And Jesus begins to teach the disciples how they can go about unwrapping this unbelievable gift that God has given them. And this morning, I just kind of want us to th see three movements through the text just to kind of help our hearts grab it. I don't know if you take notes or not, but I want you to notice kind of the first clear teaching that Jesus gives the disciples out of verse 2 in chapter 11. He's going to say, listen, if you want more of the Holy Spirit, it begins with you and I understanding that we approach God as a child would approach their father. Look back at it. He says, hey, if you want what I have, it starts with you understanding this. You look at God and you say, Father, hallowed be your name. Here I, here I am, Father. I, I'm the child. You're the Father. And I, I love this moment because Jesus knows, you know, these guys grew up in the Bible Belt of the Middle East. I mean, they grew up. They had heard all the sermons. They had listened to all the podcasts. They had been to all the religious events. And Jesus knew how predisposed Guys like them and girls like them were to sitting in plastic chairs like us, listening to sermons, and walking away completely untouched by the power of God. And Jesus says, listen, you've got to quit approaching God as though he's a distant force or some random cosmic being or a set of philosophical ideas. He said, you come into his presence as a child would approach their father. And I know this is such, like weighted language, and I just want to kind of speak to the tension in the room for a moment. If, if we raised our hands, if I asked you how many of you had lousy fathers, uh, more than half of you in the room would probably raise your hand because you have a bad relationship with your dad. I know this is tough language to kind of get our minds around, especially if you have a bad earthly father. But I want you to just see the heart of what Jesus is trying to do. Jesus is saying, listen, you have the joy and the privilege through Christ to approach God, not as a slave approaches the master or as an employee approaches the boss or as a philosopher approaches an idea. He says, you get to come into the presence of God as a child comes to their father. And this is a declaration not only of your relationship with God, but of your reality here on this earth. And I think about this relational beauty that Jesus is giving the disciples here. Uh, I'm a dad, I have three kids, and I talk about them every week, I know, but get over it, I love them. And one of the things that happens when you have a kid is you have this instant bond with uh, the children. It's like God opens up this reservoir of love in your heart that you didn't even know existed. And so on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at the Y uh, over in Green Hills, uh, during the winter months, they will set up these inflatables. Um, so that parents during the winter months when their kids can't get outside, you can bring your kids over to the gym there at the YMCA, let them jump and run on the inflatables and uh, kind of get all of their energy out. And uh, it's this like amazing safe haven. You walk into that gymnasium and there's inflatables. There's a couple hundred kids. Parents are lining the walls, just drinking whiskey, playing on their phones, just, just trying to escape. You know, maybe not the whiskey part, but just trying to get a breather from their kids. And so 
So often Sydney will take the boys over there and I'll try to go over on my lunch break and just see them. And this amazing thing happens. I walk into this room, there's hundreds of kids in the room, screaming, shouting, crying, laughing, everything's happening. And within moments I can hear Jack's voice or I can hear Micah's laugh or, or whatever it is. And parents, can't you testify, testify to this? You can be in a house with all of your adult friends and a kid will cry in the other room and the mom instantly knows, oh, that's my kid. And they, isn't that true? That there's this thing that happens relationally. And here's what Jesus is trying to say. He's trying to say, listen, do you want more of the presence of God? When you cry out to God, God's ear is attuned to your heart. Like an earthly father is attuned to the voice of their child. It's this amazing truth. And this is all available because of Jesus Christ. He says, it is a picture of your relationship, but it is also a picture of your reality. Because the truth is, if you want more of the Holy Spirit in your life, it, it demands this posture of coming to God as a child saying, listen, God, you have what I need. Only you can provide what I need. I can't earn this. I can't purchase this. I can't fill myself with the Holy Spirit. It's like, Lord, I need you to do what only you can do. I'm convinced there is no greater inhibiting force in American Christianity than our desire to be self-sufficient spiritually. A lot of us have confused spiritual independence with spiritual maturity. And the reality is Jesus says it's completely up, upside down. If, if you want to grow in spiritual maturity, it's you understanding that as you become more independent in your adulthood, you become more dependent on Christ in your spirituality. He says you, you come to, to God. It's this first big idea that I want you to see. He says you come as a child would come to the Father. You want more of the Holy Spirit. You want to unwrap this gift. You come as a child would come to the Father in relationship and reality. But he keeps going. He gets down to the next couple of verses and I want you to see kind of this second movement. He says, you don't just come as a child. You come with this boldness and this persistence of an annoying neighbor. Now, this is key. You've got to see what Jesus is doing here for a long time. This story really bothered me because I didn't understand that Jesus was switching the metaphors. So he, he tells him the prayer, and he says, you want more of the Holy Spirit? Understand that God views you like a father views a child. And then he gets into the next story, and he's going to tell this story about a neighbor, and he's just talking about how you and I kind of see our part in the process. In other words, he's saying, listen, it's jo God's job to give the Holy Spirit. It's your job to, to ask and to persist. God gives. You get the joy of asking and receiving. And he tells a story. Jump down to verse 5. I want you to picture this for a moment. Really bizarre story. Jesus says, just imagine this, okay? Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight. So I want you to notice in the story, you're the one who's going, okay? He says, you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and you say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine is on a journey. He's come to me. I have no food for him. Suppose your friend inside the apartment answers, don't bother me. The door's locked. The kids are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. But Jesus said, I tell you the truth, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of his friendship with you, he will get up because of your boldness, and he will surely give you as much as you need. So I'm telling you the truth. Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks will find. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And so Jesus said, imagine this scenario. You're laying in your little twin mattress that you took from your college dorm, and you stole it, but, you know, you shouldn't have done that. But just a picture, you're laying in your apartment tonight, and somebody texts you. It's your friend, and they're like, hey, bro, I'm getting off the interstate. I'll be at your house in 15 minutes. And you're like... I forgot they were coming in town. 
And so you wake up and you go, man, I don't have anything for them to eat. I don't have anything for the, them to, uh, to take care of them. And so you wake up kind of in the middle of your desperation. You don't have time to get to Kroger. You walk next door to the apartment next to you. And it's like, like hey, Tony. Maybe your neighbor's name's Tony. Just play along with me, okay? And it's like, it's like, hey, Tony, I need some bread. And, and Tony's like, dude, my kids are asleep. I'm in bed. Like, he's too lazy to even get up. He's like yelling back through the door. And he's like, hey, I'm not, I'm not getting out of bed. And you're like, Tony, I'm not leaving. Tony, I'm not leaving. Can you keep? And finally, Tony opens the door. He's like, here's the bread. If you ever come, you know, take all the bread you want. And there's this, this moment, Jesus is telling this really interesting story. He says, he says listen, this is, this is how you're supposed to pray. You, you, you come like a child into the presence of your father and you keep banging on the door like you're at Tony's house and you need some bread. You just keep banging on Tony's door. You keep knocking, hey, you have what I need. You have what I need. Can you give it? And I want you to notice this because this is such a, a cool, beautiful kingdom principle. Jesus is gonna say there are things in the kingdom of God that are only unlocked through your bold persistence. There are things in the kingdom of God that are only made available through your bold persistence. And I want, I, I want to be so clear here. I don't understand this. I'm like, why don't you just knock and ask, ask once? God says, listen, it's my job to give. It's your job to ask. And there is something in the bold persistence, the knocking and the seeking that is rewarding. I think about this with my kids. We have a little Christmas tree that we put in, in their room and we let them decorate it, which means it didn't end up on Pinterest because it's just a mess. There are, are lights and ornaments everywhere and they covered it in candy canes, which was a terrible mistake on our part. They cover this tree in candy and then immediately they start asking, hey, can we have a candy cane? And I'm like, yes, but you've got to wait two hours. We're going to have dinner. You've had plenty of sweets. After dinner, you can have a candy cane. So 30 seconds go by. Can we have a candy cane? After dinner. Another minute. Can I have... After dinner, and they keep asking, they keep asking, and they keep asking, they keep asking. About 20 minutes later, I go into the living room, and Jack, my two-year-old, is laying on the floor. I kid you not, he has a candy cane on his lip like a mustache. He's just laying on the floor. And I'm like, I told you, you can't have a candy cane. He said, Dad, I'm not eating it. I'm just smelling it. And uh, <laughs> I'm like, this kid is in bad, you know, and, and, and they're, just, they're just asking, please, it smells so good. And, you know, and there's this moment where I cave, and I'm like, just take the, eat as much candy as you want. You know, forget your health. And, and, and they're just pounding these candy canes. And here's what I love about kids. My, my kids never sit in the room and strategize, okay, when should we ask our father? How should we ask our father? Like, when they just... They just come, they just like tug on my pant leg. Hey, can we, can we, they just ask and they ask and they ask. And I want you to notice this. Jesus is saying, this does not bother God. This is not a spiritual vice. This is a spiritual virtue. To come to God and to keep asking for more of the presence of God is a blessing. And it's what God desires in your life. And Jesus says, you want to unwrap the gift of the Holy Spirit. You want more of the Spirit's power and presence in your life. You come to God like a father. And you come to him like a neighbor who boldly and persistently asks. And the third thing that I want us to notice, it jumps down in the last part, portion of the text. When you come to him like a child and when you ask boldly and persistently, you should expect abundantly. He says, you should expect abundantly. Jump down to verse 9 with me. He says, I'm telling you the truth. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks will receive. Everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Everyone who seeks will find. Verse 11. Which of your fathers, if your son were to ask for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if he asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion? 
If you then, even though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so I love this, this moment where Jesus looks at the disciples and he's going to put his finger on a pressure point in their heart and he's going to say, listen, here's the deal. If you want more of the Holy Spirit in your life, you come to God like a, a child comes to a father, you ask boldly and persistently. He says, but you need to expect abundantly. And this is one of the, the, the coolest things that I think Jesus ever says. He looks at these disciples and he's telling them, he's saying, listen, there is nothing more certain in your life. There's nothing more certain. It's more certain than the, the sun rising or the air you're breathing or the love that you're receiving from your spouse. There is nothing more certain than God the Father giving the fullness of his Holy Spirit to every child of God who humbly asks. There's nothing more guaranteed in your life that when you come to God as a child and boldly and persistently ask that God would give you the fullness of his Spirit. But Jesus looks at the disciples and he uses humor to expose their unbelief and to expose uh, this truth of their life. I think Jesus was probably the funniest person that ever lived. I know when we describe Jesus, most of us don't think of him being funny, but he invented the sense of humor. Nobody knew how to deliver a punchline like Jesus. And Jesus looked at the disciples and he says, guys, here's the deal. You have come to expect more from your crummy neighbors and your crummy fathers than you do from God. He says, you expect way more from your neighbor, Tony, when you're like banging on the door. He's not a good neighbor and you expect him to answer you. He says, you expect more from your earthly father. He says, but when you come into the presence of God, you don't actually expect him to answer. It'd be, it'd be amazing if we started taking note of all the prayers that we spoke to God that we never waited in expectation for an answer. I'm convinced that most Christians don't have any expectation that God would actually answer them. And Jesus said, here is the truest thing. I want you to notice how many times he says this. When you ask, you receive. When you seek, you find. When you knock, the door is opened. I love this down in verse 13. He says, and how much more, how much more will your heavenly Father give the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Like, there is nothing you should expect more freely and abundantly than the fullness of God's Spirit within you when you come to Jesus as a child. And I know it's one thing to talk about it. One of the tensions that I was wrestling with this week, I was going, okay, Jesus, this sounds so good. Why is it so hard for me to believe this? Like, it is one thing for me to hear the words of Jesus, and it is another thing for me to walk in the reality of this truth. And I know this is the tension that a lot of us are in. You know, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit for 12 weeks, and it's like, wow, the Holy Spirit sounds amazing. I'm just not sure that I have him. I'm just not sure that he's for me. And so I kind of want to end our time in this series by just being very transparent with you and sharing five very quickly sharing five barriers in my own life that really kept me for a long time, that kept me from unwrapping the gift that God was placing before me in Jesus Christ. I just kind of want to share with you, I don't think that all of these barriers are going to be your barriers, but maybe you'll relate to some of these. Maybe they'll be helpful um, to you. And so for a long time, I would read the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 11, where he says, hey, you want the Holy Spirit? Come to God like a child, ask persistently, expect abundantly. And yet I didn't seem to see this play out in my life. And so here's just a few things that kind of tripped me up along the way. Maybe this will help you. Um, the first barrier for me was a barrier of my own failure. And maybe we have different degrees of this in our own lives and in our own stories. 
Um, but there was a season in my life where I believed that the gift was really this good. I did not believe that I was good enough to receive a gift this good. And so some of you have experienced this. You've just, you know, it's like you've been given this one life and you just kind of screwed it up. And it's like, okay, I believe that the Spirit of God is this awesome. I just don't believe that God would impart that great of a gift to me. And some of us live with this perpetual sense of spiritual, um, or, you know, it's like we're orphans. Like we don't really belong in the family. And this is what we addressed the very first week when we were together out of Ezekiel chapter 36. And I want you to hear this. The Holy Spirit is not God's reward to the spiritually elite. He's God's gift to the spiritually bankrupt. Those of you who know you cannot live for God are perfect candidates for the fullness of God's presence. God says when you know you can't do it, this is when you begin to receive him. And for a long time, I believed that this gift was received because of my merit. And it wasn't until I started reading the scriptures, looking at the words of Jesus, doing life in the context of a spiritual community, that I understood the Holy Spirit was only available because of Jesus' merit. And so the reason you can even receive the gift of God's presence in your life this morning is because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. But for a long time, my own failure was the great barrier. Um, I went through another season where I got past the failure kind of barrier and the, the next barrier for me um, was fear. And so I started to believe, okay, maybe God could give the Holy Spirit to a person like me, but I, I was just seized with fear. Like, what would my life look like if God gave me his Holy Spirit? And so I'm just gonna be very candid with you. Uh, most of the people who I knew who talked about the Holy Spirit for a long time were just total weirdos. And I thought, man, if having the Holy Spirit's gonna make me look like them, I don't want the, I don't want the Holy Spirit. There's just this fear that I was gonna become just this, this weird, crazy, socially awkward person at the Christmas party. And I'm just, that's just my fear. Maybe you've never felt that before, but there's this fear of what other people would think. And then there was this fear of, man, where would God send me? Where will God take my life if he really had control? And we could probably go around the room and you all have different fears maybe of the Holy Spirit really getting a hold of your life. But here's what I wanna encourage you. If God is really your good father, if he's really as good as Jesus says he is, you don't have to fear any gift that he wants to give you. There's nothing you have to fear. Anything that he wants to do in your life will be good. And Jesus does not send the Holy Spirit to make you a weirder version of you. He sends the Holy Spirit so you can become the truest version of you. And that is a person walking in the love and the power and the fullness of Jesus. So for a season, it was my failure. For a season, it was my, my fear. You know, for a season, it was my feelings. And so I remember, I'd read the scriptures, you know, it's what we talked about a few weeks ago, Acts chapter two, and there's this clear promise. You place your faith in Jesus, you turn from your sin, you get baptized, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I had done all those things, and yet I did not feel like I had the Holy Spirit. I won't make you raise your hand, but I know a lot of you are there. It's like, I'm saved. I don't feel like I have the Holy Spirit. So I started going to my friends, and I'd go, I don't feel like I have the Spirit of God in my life. And we'd pray, and I remember being in this like little prayer huddle one time, and this group of people said, okay, we're gonna pray, Dave, for more of the Spirit's presence in your life. And when we pray, man, you're gonna feel the love of God just overwhelm your life, and you're gonna see God work in your life in amazing ways. And they're telling me all this stuff. And so they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. And do you know what I felt? Nothing. Felt absolutely nothing. And then I felt disappointment because I felt nothing. So the only thing that I felt when I prayed for more of the Holy Spirit was disappointment. And I didn't see that in the Bible. And so it's like, maybe I did this wrong. Maybe I did this wrong. And it's because I misunderstood a key kingdom principle. 
And that is all the gifts of God are received by his kids through faith first, not feeling. So you remember Ephesians chapter 2 where, where God tells us, he says, listen, uh, your salvation is a gift of God. It's available because of Jesus' grace and you receive it through what? Faith. Through faith. It's the same with the Holy Spirit. Some of you today will pray for more of the Holy Spirit and you're going to feel the love of God overwhelm your life and you're going to see God do amazing things. Some of you will see the power of the Holy Spirit manifest in brand new ways in your life today when you pray. And some of you are going to be like me and you're going to feel nothing at first. And even in the nothingness, it is an invitation into the fullness of the kingdom where you step in faith and you do what Jesus commands us to do in Mark chapter 11. He says, when you pray, put your confidence in God, start living as though you've already received it and you will see the kingdom worked out in your life. And so as I started walking in faith over the years, I have experienced tremendous feelings and moments and those things. But you don't worship the feelings or the manifestations. You're there for the Lord, right? So for a season, the, the barrier for me was fear or my failure or my feelings. I'll give you another one. It was my faith tradition. So for some of you, uh, your faith tradition is that you have no faith tradition, you were here because the girl that invited you to church is hot and you came with her and you didn't grow up in church and you don't know anything about Jesus and this idea that the Spirit of God wants to live in you is weird. And I just want to say as a, as a Christian, we think that's weird too. It's, it is hard to get your mind around this reality that God wants to indwell your life. And for some of you, your lack of a faith tradition is a barrier. For some of you, you're like me, you grew up in a faith tradition and the things that you heard and were taught, that, that's your barrier. Some of you were literally taught growing up that Jesus doesn't act like this anymore and that the Spirit doesn't move like this anymore. And I just want to challenge you for a moment. If God doesn't work like this anymore, just show me where that's true in the Scriptures. See, a, a lot of us, have come to believe what we believe about the Holy Spirit, not because of the teachings of Jesus, but because of the random teachings of some pastor or friend or small group leader who years ago told you that God doesn't move like this anymore. And I go, I, go, I just don't see that. And you've got to decide, will Jesus Christ be your divine authority or will the random guy in the church you grew up in be your divine authority? I'm not even asking you to take my word for it. Just get in the word of God and see what Jesus says. I don't want to be your divine authority. Let Jesus speak to you. Let, let Jesus unfold it. There's all these barriers. We go around the room, and I bet you all of you have different barriers to really believing and really receiving what Jesus has for you. But here's what I want you to hear. The fullness of God's presence is available to every single one of you because before you were born, Jesus Christ came to the earth. He died on a cross. He raised from the dead. He ascended to heaven where he sits at the right hand of God the Father and he is still pouring out his spirit into the lives of every person that comes to God like a child who knocks on the door and boldly asks and who expects the Lord to answer. There is more of God for all of us. And the question is, will you come to him? Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18, he says, whatever your story is, keep coming to God for more of the Holy Spirit. Keep coming. It's so what you see the disciples doing. You know, they received the Holy Spirit in John chapter 20. And then they received the Holy Spirit again in Acts chapter 2. And then they received the Holy Spirit again in Acts chapter 4. And then they received the Holy Spirit again in Acts chapter 10. I'm going, how many times do these same men and women need to receive the Holy Spirit? And it's apparent. You just keep coming to the Lord for more of the Spirit. And I go, do you have the courage to come to Jesus like a New Testament Christian and say, I, I want more? And I know that only, only you can provide it. We'll end with this. There's this beautiful picture in Luke chapter 3 where Jesus is, is getting baptized. And 
It's this amazing moment. There's a lot of people there. Jesus is baptized. He's following God in obedience, being identified with God publicly. And I never noticed this until this past Thursday. Thursday afternoon, I was just reading through the Gospel of Luke. Stumbled across Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Go home and read that. Luke 3, verse 21, when you get home today. But there's this moment where Jesus is baptized. He comes up out of the water. He's there in the context of a community. And I love it. It says that Jesus begins to pray to his Father. It says, as he was praying to his Father, the heavens were torn open and the Spirit of God was poured out. And I never noticed that before Jesus ever commanded us to come to God as Father and to ask him humbly to tear open the heavens and to pour out the Spirit, that Jesus himself had modeled this very thing. He's baptized, comes out of the water, prays, God, give me more of your Spirit. Heavens are torn open. And I was praying for you this week. I was praying for you guys this morning going, how cool would it be if this morning in the midst of our worship gatherings... As we were praying to our Father, you don't need me, you can just talk to God because of Jesus. As you were praying in your families and your friends, just like little cracks in the heavenly edifice was opening up over each one of us in our, our chairs. And I was just imagining kind of this moment of heaven being opened up and just the grace and the kindness and the love of God being poured out on you. Some of you will feel it, some of you won't. Some of you will be given the gift of faith today. Some of you will be given the gift of sight because you'll see God do amazing things. And in all of it, it will reveal the graciousness of the one that has given the gift of his presence. Like, I mean, you want more of God. It's available. He is available to you because of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to spend the rest of our time today. We're, we're going to pray. We're going to take communion. We're going to sing some songs. And I want to encourage you, whether you're a Christian or not, to spend some time, get with the people that you came with and just ask the question, man, is there more room for God in my life? And spend time approaching God as a father, just knocking on the door saying, hey, would you give us more of your presence? Um, some of you are not followers of Jesus or you've walked away from Jesus and you go, man, today's the day. I need to be baptized in water. I need to be baptized in the spirit. I need to be filled with the presence of God. And I'd go, let nothing keep you from the gift that Jesus has put on the table before you. Um, if you want to become a follower of Jesus, there'll be a bunch of us up here. Come find me. We'll talk. We'll pray. Um, we'll, we'll invite God to do something in your life. If you just want to be prayed over, if you're already a Christian, we'd love to pray over you. If, whatever your story is, we're just going to give you the next 20 or 30 minutes to do that. So I want to invite you to stand up. We're going to, we're, we're going to take communion together. We're going to worship, pray, see what the Lord wants to do among us as we call on the name of God.